0: Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about grid sa- sampling when it comes to doing your soil sampling. In the spotlight, we'll take a look at a multi-state data project looking to help soybean growers. A History Minute, we'll talk about the weather records for the big game. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events and we'll wrap it all up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schaumburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilties out there. And I'm Matt Bruger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So the the Super Bowl, can we say that? Probably uh, not. No? Okay. The big game <clears throat> is coming out this weekend after the uh, the Pro Bowl. Pretty sure there's no prohibition. Prohibi- <laughs> no, they don't no. care about that. Prohibition's over saying Pro Bowl, uh, despite being... Less than professional. They probably want us to say it so that, like, they get well. They they get so little people watching. The marquee of that was like Manning versus Manning because it was Peyton was coaching AFC and Eli was coaching the NFC in that flag football game. In the flag football game, yeah. Which I did not watch the game. I saw this afterwards. I didn't realize that that was what they were doing. I just knew they were doing the flag football thing, and apparently. Peyton got pretty worked up about some late game stuff going on, as the AFC did lose to the NFC for probably the first time in a long time. Cause Pro Bowl, it seems like the last few. I think we all AFC, but yeah.
1: Honestly, I wonder why they even bother anymore. Like, I don't even, I don't even get why they. Well,
0: because it was in they, Vegas. Instead of because they used to do it in Hawaii, so that it sure, was at least excuse for Hawaii. these guys to go Didn't to Didn't they move
1: it to Florida for a while?
0: Uh, yeah, I think it came back to Florida, and now it's in this year, it was in Vegas. It's
2: probably that's probably a good place
0: for those guys. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that was why they can't place any bats. <laughs> There's, There's other things to do in Las Vegas, Max buffets, <laughs> yes, buffets and getting shot.
1: They did like a Skills challenge, thing; those were kind of cool? Yeah, they were do like that the those. coolest and dumbest like things too. all at the same time, but yeah. they were kind of cool.
3: I like the dodgeball game, but it's frustrating to watch athletes that are that good of athletes be bad at dodgeball. <laughs> Any wrenches thrown? No,
1: dodge a wrench, you can dodge ball. I guess I didn't see all of them. I seen like a tic tac toe one. Where they had like long snappers, Ooh. you have to like oh, really so to like chuck hit the, the no, yeah, and it was like up kind of where a goalpost would be, so you had to like long stamp it really far, and then they had a punter try to punt it, and then the kicker could kick at it, and the kickers basically like actually the long snappers did really well, and then the kickers did okay. I think
3: long post. snappers might be the most. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, like. There's the actually fine-tuned skill, skill. Like, I don't think you can do... I don't think anybody can be more skilled at that It's
1: very job. specialized. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the most specialized. Because when it gets like, to the
2: holder, they want
1: the laces a certain exact way. Yeah, you right? have to right. know
3: how many times the ball is going to rotate between the end of your
0: fingers and the holder's. And, yeah.
1: and you're usually out there in a very high-stress situation. It's not... You know, it, like a punt where you're pushed back. Right, now, like, like
0: you have an extra second to like, oh, I'm going to turn the ball a little bit right? and throw Right, it. or like a
1: quarterback where you can like, go out and like, ah, my first throw sucked, I'm just getting into it. Like, you got to be...
3: Like, obviously, quarterback right. is more important than long snapper, but there is nobody better at their job than an NFL long snapper is at their job. Like, a good one is... Think about that. Like, you say a bad pass. Quarterback throws a bad pass. It's like, oh, whatever. Long snapper throws one bad Sad. snap. They're done. Their career's
1: over. You, What's like, crazy at Packer games you watch, and I can't remember our long snapper. Coco. but he was on there like on first down when the offense ran out. He was out there snapping, snapping, just getting ready. Because and you're, and it was like the whole game like that. And you'd be like, "Whoa, you think it's gonna be three and out?" But he's got to be ready, and so, he's and he's got no. So he goes no practice on the field. Shot. It's yeah.
3: You know, in an average game, he goes six for six. Say three touchdowns, extra points, three field goals. Right? No, maybe that's a little more. He goes six for six. Perfect passes, a hundred percent time, and he's throwing them between his legs with his head down. Yeah, like that's it's
1: with these big dudes running at him. Yeah, you can't you can't hit a long snapper anymore, can you? you no, can't, you, well, you can't line up over. You them. cannot line up over the long snapper, yeah. or like jump over top of
2: him.
3: Yeah that that's a new that's a newer rule in the last couple of years. But that was long. Respect the brand, right? Long snappers, punters, kickers. Have you ever
1: here, boys practice long snapping? No, no. <laughs>
3: Should maybe,
2: yeah. huh? Yeah. There's not much uh, Max can attest to middle school football. Not a lot of long skill down, and yeah. long snapping.
1: <laughs>
3: we middle schoolers—that's <laughs> a tough job. Tough job. It's a tough job for high school teams. Um, yeah. it's a really tough job for. I think middle I'd schoolers. rather
1: watch middle school football than that flag football Pro Bowl. Oh, you would. Yeah, you would. That would have been better.
3: At least middle school kids want to.
2: Kill they each they other. actually want
1: to try and not just. <laughs> yeah dance around like they're yeah no last
2: year's pro bowl was a flag football game anyway right yeah the the previous year in pads yeah so is everybody watching the big game sunday
3: or you don't care
0: yeah i'll probably watch some of it yeah not gonna be as into it as if i actually cared about the result but
3: i like both teams so it'll be or i think both teams can win i guess
0: i don't i don't like if, Bra- if
3: the Bucks are playing, I would be actively rooting against them.
1: It's weird that I don't hate anybody on the team yep. besides Matt's right. The, the one for the made. Eagles, yes. Yeah. Nadan Kinsu is on the Eagles. I, I hate him, but I forget he's even on the team most right. of the time, he's, So it's like, ah. Part of me does
0: want the Eagles to win just to see if Kevin Hart drunkenly tries to get up on stage like he did last, last time. Like he did last, that time, was they last won. time they were? Yeah, I didn't realize that when they won the first time. He was like, as I, I actually just heard a a thing with him like talking about that that night and he's like yeah i was just so drunk he was with the eagles on the field and one of the guys is like hey kevin like here's a trophy come take a picture and he's like no nah, no nah, i'm going up there to get a picture with the trophy <laughs> like he had no idea like he was that close to the lombardi trophy and just like tried to get on stage and got and made it no oh, oh no no they stopped him the fact that he got on the field yeah. to begin with was pretty good but then yeah when he tried to get up on the like the stage, that was that was when he got stopped. All right. You guys ready to get into our topic for today? Let's go. Let's go. All right. So grid soil sampling. What grid is the right grid, Bill?
2: I don't know. That's what we're going to hash out here this morning. Are we going to do the gritty? I,
0: Jesus. I can't. Okay, Justin Jefferson. Yeah, yeah. no.
2: Like, that's like a thing in my house, and I'm... Everybody laughs at me when I try, so I'm not even gonna.
0: Is it, do you find it more difficult than the floss? Oh uh, no, for a
3: while? I can't do either. Your boys are prime gritty, like yeah, gritty gritty. They do the like the
2: eye thing, like Jefferson does, and like the where they like shot, you know, like giving yourself a shot in the arm. They do the gritty That's like part that. Of the
3: gritty? I didn't know that. Yep. Your kids aren't old enough matter, Todd. I don't think your boys I are, are not know. quite they're not quite into the dancing stage yet.
0: Harrison would do the floss for a while.
3: Yeah. Mm. I'm not coordinated enough to figure that one out.
1: After every soil sample, I do the
0: gritty. <laughs> that's why you only get one field <laughs> yeah, no, I, done in a day.
3: I, I promised the gritty if we uh, had a pick six in a game this year, and we did. And did you do did it? You and do I do had the gritty. Yeah, it was disgusting. Is it videotaped? <laughs> I'm sure it is, is oh, somewhere. That's really so funny. Uh, But it was gross.
2: Yeah. So normally we're doing, what do you guys think, 80% of what we do is five-acre grids?
0: Yeah, it could be. Fair.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, it's a high percentage. And it's only because it's a requirement, right? If if we had to do two and a halves, we would, but just because the requirement. So I, I got to thinking, you know, we're not going to be going out right now and spreading any fertilizer or hopefully you got some bought but at some point these vrt wrecks that guys are doing for the spring are going to be needed to get punched out and figured out so um is five acre grids enough is that what we should be doing and i think we all probably know the answer to that is no um but one thing i i guess i just kind of wanted to put some numbers to that like what does a five acre grid do for you what does a two and a half acre grid for you and Doing some research um, for the podcast today. It was interesting that how inaccurate a five acre grid can be. Um, looking at some research, uh, I
1: believe. Bill, are you talking? Let's lay the groundwork here. Like specific, specific for VRT? Yeah. Is this to make a whole field wreck? Whole field
2: wreck or, or not? Yeah, whole field wreck on the accuracy. Of basically what what the studies have done is the spatial variability yeah, yeah they've they've soil sampled the field on a one acre grid and then just took in samples out yes
1: to right. get to, to those get other to grids groups. right right
2: and how the accuracy changes from from being 100% accurate which is almost under an acre grid to five acre to ten acre and the and it depends on the field too that's the crazy part well, is don't, you don't know till you're done
1: depends on soil type field yeah. i mean just in general it Everything. depends on variability yeah
2: history right right and the interesting part with the study is basically the conclusions came to when you don't have any data you should one acre grid your field to start to start to get your history and then go from oh. there and determine go from there and determine where you should
1: should go with With it after that, Um, that that actually bodes to some of it. Remember, we first started; we'd grid on a two and a half, and then do like every other, or do every two and a half, and then you'd sort of see. It's hard how much variability there was, rather than just
0: doing a straight line middle of a five acre, right?
2: And it's hard to set, like if you set your five acre grid you set the points up on that grid and then you want to come back the next time and add points to it to the two and a half they never match up good it doesn't work so we set the grid at two and a half and then skipped every other point so that if you wanted to come back later you could add those points in. but i had
1: some tour we just did two and a half right away and then we're like oh well we'll do less next time if we don't need to and it never seemed like we did like it just was like oh well this is how it's set up now and it's very even hard to look at the data and see you know know which ones to pull out or add because it can be it's just as difficult to do that so right do you
0: just do you overlay a soils map and say okay we got to move because of the soil type change or right do you overlay the yield map and say we got to change because the yield is changing there's there's a lot of ways you could a lot of ways to skin that cat
1: yeah
2: so georgia actually did a study where they took a field, they took several fields in Georgia. Now, again, it's Georgia, it's not Wisconsin or wherever, but I think it goes to the point of the variability of the soil, and they basically one acreed the whole field. Then they did two-and-a-half acre, five, seven, and ten. And the two metrics they used was accuracy, um, which I believe is just, you know, what does that field look like for soil tests when you have one acre? How does that change when you go to two? does it reduce your accuracy based on, okay, at one acre grid, the parts per million is 50 and at two and a half acres, it goes down to 30 or whatever it is that, that changes that accuracy. They also factored in what the cost of sampling would be because obviously the more acre, the smaller the acres you do, grids you do, the more samples you have to take. And then also how that VRT rec changes that's part of the cost too of that fertilizer that you would spread on one of those, on each of those, on those acres. And as you could expect, um, on average, one acre grid was 85 to 90% accurate. Like it's, it's pretty good. What really, sh- what really struck me is on when you go to two and a halves and fives, how it, it almost halves each time. Like I didn't expect, going to two and a half your accuracy would drop to 60 percent 70 percent and then when you went to five acres it it almost went to 50 percent accurate so if you're trying to run a vrt rec you're going to get a grossly different recommendation if you're doing five acre grids versus one acre grids or two and a halves even and i think that's why i said some of this is common sense and we already knew this but i think the take-home points were that If you're going to do VRT, it may be most profitable to start out by doing one-acre grids the first time you sample it if you have zero knowledge of the field.
3: By the time you're spending the money to have VRT recommendations written for you,
1: or... They're pretty cheap, but I agree. But if
3: you're not paying anybody to do anything for you right now, like... Right. Right? right. So we've always just bought 200 pounds urea, 100 pounds AMS, and 200 pounds potash and put it on. If you're going to change that up and you don't have somebody working with you now, like, it's going to cost. At that point, you might as well spend the money on get the soil samples and make sure the VRT rec is right. Versus, you know what I mean?
1: The other interesting... You guys ever do one-acre grids? Yes. Yes. And it's... it Actually... It n- feels like you did... Well, think of it to be like a football field size. You know, that's what an acre would be. But you're just... It feels like you didn't even go very far from the last one. It's like, oh, that's where I took the last one, just right over there, and I'm here now. Like, there's no way. So one of the problems I do have this. What I would say is, I'd almost change it to like a 1.25 acre grid, because then you could switch to two and a half yeah. easily. Yep. Where where the the numbers got to be just halved, which a one to a 1.25 is, is the same thing. It doesn't matter. But you'd you'd grid it on a 1.25. And then look at some of those points. The other tricky part is like headlands get weird when sure. you're on that narrow of a grid. All of a sudden like...
3: You're sampling in the headlands Like quite a couple a bit. of them
1: could be in the headlands where it's like, well, this... Which having some samples in the headlands to potentially know when you're VRTing is helpful. But at the same time, it gets weird with headlands as well. So I, that'd be a couple watchouts with that is like, that's a very dense grid. I mean, you're just, you're taking a lot of soil at that point.
3: You made the comment before that you've done it before where you started on a small grid and then you say we'll take some points out later and you never do I actually now that I'm thinking about it we did do that once we sampled one time we had it figured we were somewhere between like a third and a half acre grid by the time we were said and done on a varus sampling and after we did it once we said you know what I don't think we quite need this many samples (laughs) in here um
0: well I think yeah if you can use some sort of data whether it's varus or Yield to create zones
1: then various is the best to make smart zones, right? All are good But like you say to Matt is right is instead of saying grids If you use the word zones and zone out similar soil type similar You know yield or whatever parameters you try to set.
0: Yeah, cuz I was down at uh, Precision plantings farm they were talking about a study they did and they looked at um, zones and how how it matched up similar to what you did here with grids bill, but um, t- you know, to what level accuracy you would need to really mimic the zone, and that was even under a, an acre grid. Sometimes, so it's, to, to
1: mimic the zone, right? Saying, yeah.
0: right. So if you have data that can help you create the zones, you know, maybe doing the one acre grid first because you have no data, and then comparing it with the zones and figuring out where to sample the next time could save you some some sample points potentially.
1: Bill, did they say if this was based on like pH, organic matter, P, and K, or was it like a couple of those right, parameters? Right, spatial variability. Changes yeah, with the so the
2: the data yeah. I have in front of the guys here that we're talking about was on K. Was on potassium. Yeah, but they did. They also did on P and pH, and they noticed similar trends. Yeah,
1: I just where I really where we used to do this a lot was remember the tool we shouldn't even name anymore the pH detector. <laughs> It's still in the shop, I think. Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's still up there. Speaking we're,
0: of one-acre yeah. grid Yeah. Haunting mm-hmm. your dreams. That
1: thing, So we had this, yeah, machine that it was mounted a, to it it the was four-wheeler. A, it was a pH
2: probe, basically. Right,
1: right. And you, it, would, and you could basically take pH off the back of the four-wheeler. So it was like, well, heck, we're not limited by any, you know, you, you can do it right in the field. We could get down to, I think we did a half-acre even once, didn't we, Matt? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you're triggering my ptsd no, Was it yes. fun it, phtsd it, well and you thought like this machine would have been like quicker in <laughs> the field come on give that. me that
3: <laughs> one
0: <laughs> 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 all right God, it, you. It, sorry it was, Todd. It was, it was the, the fact that we had to modify it to get it to work right and then nice yeah and then have
3: that's what you like is buying new equipment and then and immediately then. cutting or removing parts from it that's always my favorite thing to do
1: yep so anyway what we thought, saw with that too And that was fun. I got to do like a, I took these transparencies and then you'd like lay, you know, you'd have the 10 acre and then you'd lay all of it over until you got to like a half acre. And there was like a whole middle part of the field that was like missed at like even two and a half that had wonky pH. Sure, sure. So, but I think like a, a zone would have figured that out potentially or like trying to, I've even thought like, I mean, right now we try to go back to the same areas every year to get repeatability, but that's also a tough thing is sometimes you maybe want to get away from those yeah. spots. So it's, it's a weird...
2: The other argument about too small zones and too small, like, changing of your rates is these like some of the equipment we use can't catch up. Right. Right? Like, but,
0: I mean, it's an inherent kind of flaw in sampling software is that it always defaults to the middle of a grid. Sure. And yep. you may not always want to take the sample right in the middle of the grid because any number of reasons, least not least of all, like it lays it in a giant wet spot or a ditch or you know, there's a lot of reasons not to sample in the middle of a grid. And having a straight line through a field isn't really probably gaining you as much and I don't have the research to back it up, but I would think staggering it some would at least give you a little bit better capture some of these variabilities
3: i will defend grid, grid sampling here for a second if you are like the first time you sample field when it's a new pickup and you you know drew the borders in from the aerial and you get out there it's not right like you can just move the points like you right. put them in ahead of time you can move them and i think you're not doing a very good job if you're not moving them here and there because sometimes on the aerial you don't see that you just dropped it in the middle no. of the pond
0: no there, there is something to be said for consistency and going back and, and at least you're noticing a trend versus if you're gathering new data every time, it's harder to capture a trend because you're not really comparing apples to apples.
3: Yeah, Bill, I was going to ask you about that. I don't see it in the notes here. Did did they say how many years they repeated this grid sampling trial? Or do you remember? And maybe I, you don't. Maybe I think this is there. just
2: one year's data. They're sure. looking to do it again this year, so things could change. Right. Um, but they did a lot of fields, so... sure. Um, the other interesting point was, um, so if you're looking to like decrease your costs, like okay, I'm gonna do small, I'm gonna do a larger grid size so it doesn't cost me more, it costs me as much in sampling. The one thing you gotta watch is because your accuracy goes down, you might actually under apply fertilizer in certain spots. And yeah, your cost is gonna go down because you have less fertilizer. But what yield did you? give up because you left it on the table because your grid wasn't correct.
0: I noticed that it was interesting showing the cost breakdown that a 10 acre grid was the second most expensive behind the one acre grid in this study. So meaning that
1: Let that sink in, Matt. Right. That's wild.
0: And that the cheapest was actually seven and a half. And there's no like profitability
2: that ran on this. So like this is just flat costs, like your sampling costs, your fertilizer costs. So, if your ten-acre grids were put in the wrong spot, it's pro- it could very well be higher costs because you hit a lower spot in the field, or right. you such a wide area of capture there. And I
3: would imagine for the for the viability of this test, the points were put in ahead of time from an aerial and not drawn, you know, not dropped in the field because then you can be swayed by. What you're seeing, to, to keep the, it consistent, this is exactly what you talk about. Where the point just gets put in a
0: wet hole because you know it's not on the aerial, right? So, yeah. So ultimately, you're spending money. It's a matter if you're losing yield to spend less money on sampling and fertilizer, or evening out that cost across everything by being more accurate.
1: This debate's been going on a long time, Bill. <laughs> right. I had I it was, yesterday. <laughs> I remember being, it was like 10 years ago at uh, InfoAig. Were you, you it, remind me if you've been to this one and it was I've, a professor. I've you've been, I've there, been but, to InfoAig. But, yeah. Okay. I just remember where I was sitting and it was Professor um, Raj Kusala, yep. Colorado State. And he was up there giving a talk on it. And he basically said, you need to take a sample every seven meters is what they saw for variability.
0: Nice. So every twenty one feet or so.
1: Right. <laughs> to to put that so, in context. Right. So, so, all, was,
3: so on a one thousandth of an acre just just I, under a thousandth of an I acre.
1: Mean, that's what you'd see to see <laughs> True. variability. I mean yep. you're gonna have variability from there there. So he said and then he followed up with like obviously that soil sampling would be labor and cost prohibitive. Right. Like, right. like so he started at a point where you're just like your mind was blown of like we're never going to get to that.
0: Yeah, even with an automatic I mean, sampler I, that would right, be a I lot mean, of Correct. It, yeah. it
1: would just maybe as we get more tools. <laughs> How many it,
0: trailers would we need to put by before we could yeah. hold all
1: those samples? Right. So like <laughs> can you imagine? Holy
0: smokes. Every yeah. We have to go to field. the lab because the truck is full
3: after one field.
0: One that would be like after like half of a 40. Like that's crazy if you're running a pivot, 160 acre pivot? Right. Yeah. Right. That would be nuts.
1: And then and then he basically went to like he was using EC data, which is various electroconductivity data and then he would soil map it and then do grid based, so they were calling that like smart sampling sure. at sure. that time. And he said that was like 87% accurate hmm. when when they did that. So I'll like, take that. I, right. So I think all this stuff we got to look at what are we gotta look at where our goals are because right now too, if you have got a forty-acre field that you're not variable rating at all, then a ten-acre grid variable rate is probably okay, mm-hmm. you know, potentially. And then you set, make sure your your VRT rec has some parameters of I want a min rec of so much and a max of the, you know, just some parameters. You, in Do
2: Do you think that um, I've I've had this internal debate in my head like for ten years with VRT? Do you think manure makes it more important to VRT or less important? More important,
3: way more important. That's the
2: way I was leaning too. Way
3: more. Well, okay.
2: Because manure is so variable. Well, say how accurate is your Maneuvers manure
0: application? Even you're not even just take out the manure variability, but the spreading application yeah. variability.
3: And and here's an even another like piece to the puzzle is like when you talk about a guy who's got thirty steers, right, and he's farming five six hundred acres. He has manure, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not an it's not consistent enough on these acres that the variability is going to go up even you know what I'm saying like when you got a guy who's pumping 12,000 acres, every acre gets 12,000 gallons once every 3 years, right? You're taking some variability out. You talk about, well, hey, that field hasn't been gets covered once every 9 years, like the variability is goes way up. So it becomes even more important this is the, that's the literal debate I had yesterday. Actually, <laughs> like to a T. So well,
2: and the guy that's got some steers like he's just taking a box spreader out and driving around, right? Like
1: right. that's your most variable, right? Exactly. Sure. Right. That's sure. your
2: hardest thing to manage. So I think I think we kind of all knew like obviously more sampling is better, more intense grid is better, but where's that break point and is two and a half truly truly enough and kind of from the accuracy, it doesn't look like it is, almost like you would almost benefit from going to ones. But like you said, Todd, the, the labor and the cost is so prohibitive to go to that level.
3: Right. How, how, how much, you know, when you think about just our soil sampling, imagine if we changed everything to one acre grids next year. Well, how many, how much business we'd we'd just not be able to get to? We'd just plain and simple, like be a crazy number.
1: The, the, the struggle I have with this is to me that's where it needs to st- the research needs to start there of like what's actually practical, what could be done. Because even the labs aren't set up. No, for no, right. Kind of samples. Now, technology is changing where we're going to have, you know, in-field sampling things and we're going to have other things that speed us up in the field and maybe make, you know, that work someday. But we need the research to look like, okay, basically, and I think they did this here is probably one acre is for sure the least amount potential, you know, like we're not going to go any less than that I do like the way they set it up of maybe you start there do your whole farm on that and then you go from there to look at which fields do have a lot of variability and which ones don't and I've even seen I've got fields that we sample like some sandy soils that are all pretty much the same now not counting pH but P and K and we do them on like a 40 acre every year they do them on like a 40 acre just like to a see composite. composite Yeah it gets us a really good idea of what's like it? it's working to tell us the story because we're doing it every year. So sure. that's a part two is like some of these where you're doing every three or four years on a one acre basis. Well, what's the difference between that or doing, you know, five acres, but doing it every two or three years or something. So I think it. it each grower does have to think about their situation a lot and talk to your agronomist and say, Hey, how can we either make this better? Where do we got to go? What, what is the most sort of, practical yet accurate that we can be. Bill, you got some stuff here from Iowa State that is interesting. That
2: and kind of goes to your point of like no one really knows the exact like accuracy of how this is because what their research shows that a half an acre grid is a hundred percent accurate. But when you go to two and a half it's it's half that. It's fifty. So that's even less than what the Georgia study showed. So um it was just neat, neat to see that nobody really has this down pad, and every soil is so different.
1: What I was surprised is says zone sampling's thirty nine percent accurate. Right? What it, one? What's their zone based off? I guess, but right. And then soil ta- soil type sampling says twenty two percent accurate. Like, holy man, that's way. You, which these soil types were done many years ago. That was and, the
2: point in this study was they were they weren't done with any geo referencing. No. It was just hand-drawn maps and all that stuff where
3: it's kind of... Just pop up the soil types map uh, layer and be like, all right, there's a zone, there's a zone, there's a zone. Yep. Yeah. I could see where that would lack some accuracy.
0: Yeah, 10 times the sampling cost. There's no way that's going to be a problem, right? No.
2: (laughs) And I think what really shown to me was like, if you truly want a VRT and do it right, and you have no idea any history on this field, it may be good the first time to roll... Oh, really oh. intense sampling. And then you can see if there's variability or not. Because we all seen, oh, the soil test for phosphorus is 30, 30 parts per million. Oh, well, that looks great, right? It's average. But there's 5 and 6 and 10 and 90. Like, there's such a big, in some of these fields, there's such a variability that the average looks great. But the variability, Max is shaking. Never
3: seen a number that high on <laughs> phosphorus. Never seen one like that. Don't know what you're talking about.
0: Well, and the higher the number in one spot, the more the skewed average. I mean, if you Correct. have right. the barnyard yeah. field where it's right behind the barn and they they hauled all their manure in the first 10 acres there of a fifth 40 acre field.
2: I hit one of those once,
0: and it came back at 500.
2: And I'm like, I called the lab. I'm like, I know this was a pasture, but like 500? Like, that seems like a r- so round of a number. And she's like, yeah, that's the highest our test goes.
3: out at, yeah. I'm like okay there there was a field i actually did for you bill that uh we sampled that was an old pasture and they did bales through the winter and you could see where every bale was because there there was a lot of samples that correlated with bales sure and you could see where every bale was because all the ones just went woof, through the roof and then the next sample would be back down and then the next one woof, through the roof again it was crazy how close they correlated yeah but yeah
0: well todd and i took a sample once of uh an old pasture, and the lab called and said, "Do you want us to run his manure?" Yeah, that's that was that's gossip.
1: Awesome. That, that was like a barnyard, like that a, was yeah, yeah, a little. Old there was actually yeah.
3: concrete underneath there. No, um, no, it was like that was right the at, cow yard. It was
1: like right after you walk off the concrete, yeah. And,
3: well, I'm familiar with and, the soil type and, uh, you're talking about. It
1: wasn't yeah. an
0: actual field; it was a actually more of a garden area. Yeah, type. and they're, <laughs> walk, they're
1: like going to put their garden there, and then we ran a sample to see what, what was, was it. Like, and it What's that? What was it? The, 500. Oh, yeah. Well, it, they were like, what is this? Because it's something. Oh, the lab. Right. The lab, yeah, the called, lab called. called. And we're like, what is this? I'm like, well, and I explained to them. They're like, well, do you want to surround this manure? So I'm like, no. But now I know they actually got to add, they added topsoil to it. So it was actually dad's. When yeah, he, I figured it yeah, would it was be. it was dad's when he, when you know, when they took the, the you know, they got well, rid of the cows and they were going to move their garden to kind of where this old yep. barnyard. I mean, it was like a quarter acre spot and yeah they actually it's so took, it was
2: so organic mattery if that's right, a word right they took soil so much from, straw
3: and manure for years
2: just cow like no cows, straw really just cow just manure cows. and it was never scraped so it just the cows would just
1: like kind of work it in work it
2: into the yeah. soil and it was probably what 2 foot deep yeah, they call least. that a
1: schlep hole, I think, is yeah, the engineering schlep hole? Term that I once heard When it
3: rained, it turned into that. A schlep, like, hole. Yes.
2: schlep hole. I don't
3: think that's actually an engineering term. They don't and teach they, that. They definitely,
0: yeah. I heard an engineer say schlep hole. I'll yes. we'll have to bring
3: that one up.
2: All a right, well, let's hole.
0: schlep along into <laughs> our next segment here, boys. <laughs> Getting off the rails, huh? Mm, a little bit. All right, let's move on to our spotlight for today. All right, today we're looking at a multi-state data project which aims to help soybean growers. And one of the main cooperators in Wisconsin for this study is Sean Connolly with the University of Wisconsin. We Ooh, know the that guy. Cool beans. We yeah. Cool beans. He is a cool bean. The cool bean by his kid's book, Cool Bean. So he's been gathering data and recruiting farms to... Help out with this study for several years, nearly a decade. And he says now through the Data-Driven Knowledge Project, as they call it, they're going onto farmer's fields with a scouting app and collecting data in addition to the base agronomic data from the farm. So looking at what planting date, what maturity, what variety, seed treatments, all that kind of data, and taking it to the next level so that when they bring in the yield monitor data, they can capture variability across the farm field says, the algorithm they've developed will allow them to better predict which management practices will increase profitability and sustainability on each farm. The beta program is in testing now, and farmers can now upload yield monitor data in exchange for a free coupon that gives them access to run the program. Personally, I think they should throw in, like, a Culver's coupon for that, too, but maybe. A Scoopy so token? <laughs> just because it's Wisconsin. But... Um, so yeah, kind of a cool thing where we may have another tool in the toolbox to help manage that variability that we have <laughs> I, d- I was
2: debating if I wanted to put this in the cool beans because Sean Connolly is the, the coolest bean. Bean is cool beans, yeah, but I thought true. a spotlight just all on him
0: and his study would be better. so no, oh, so kudos to Sean Connolly and his work, helping soybean farmers out, and yeah, if you're interested in helping out with that project. There is a Wisconsin Soybean Program website you can go to, and I'm trying to bring it up here, so it's coolbean.info backslash soybean research backslash data-driven knowledge, and that's a spot where you can find out more about this project. It's supported in 13 states with the North Central Soybean Research Program. All right, now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. So with the big game, Super Bowl, whatever you want to call it, coming up this weekend, there you go, getting a suit again, Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl weather records over the past few years. It's in the article, so I'm just quoting from an article using that that term. Um, with the big game coming up on Sunday, it'll be interesting to look back and see what temperatures... I mean, most of the time this game has been played in a dome, so the outside temperature doesn't really matter that much. Um, but interestingly enough, the coldest Super Bowl was just five years ago, 2018, when Minneapolis, Minnesota, hosted in their new Bank of America stadium... The high temperature of 9 degrees Fahrenheit.
2: There wasn't much pregame going on that day. It was cold that week,
0: I
3: remember.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah. It was just after midnight was when they hit the high on game day. And despite plenty of sunshine leading up to the game, temperature outside at kickoff was 2 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. They wind chill of negative 14. And that is when the Philadelphia Eagles played the New England Patriots. So Philadelphia in this weekend's that was, game. That was the Philly special, right? Yep. Yep.
2: You think you could have got, if that was an outdoor stadium, you think you got a cheap tickets?
3: Yeah. I know I had some friends who went, and they didn't get tickets to the game. They just went for Super Bowl like week. They were Vikings fans. Sure. But they went for Super Bowl week. And they, I remember them coming back and telling me, yeah, it would have been really cool if it was somewhere where it wasn't two degrees.
0: <laughs> yeah, the coldest non-domed Super Bowl. They did have the Super Bowl in East Rutherford, New Jersey, where the Giants and the Jets play. And that was in 2014 and they had a game time temperature much warmer than Minnesota 49 degrees Fahrenheit but 8 inches of fell uh, snow fell the next day so they're lucky that, you, you remember
2: know. I remember that like yeah. then they were like they oh. were so dang lucky right. that they what? got the game in and it just hammered them with snow the next day
0: big nor'easter yeah and the warmest super bowl the wise the hottest game played uh was actually last year at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, that kickoff temperature was 82 degrees Fahrenheit with a high of 85 and a low of 60 throughout the game, making it the warmest Super Bowl ever played. Previously, that record was held by the 1973 game that took place in Los Angeles, California, where the kickoff temperature was 84. So that's quite a difference if you go from hottest at 85 to... Two degrees with a negative fourteen wind chill, well over an eighty degree temperature difference, counting the wind chill, well over ninety. So it's probably a good thing they play in domes sometimes.
3: I get you. I like when people say Super Bowl needs to get to Lambeau Field, buddy. Never, it's never gonna happen. No. We well, number one, we don't have the infrastructure. So just even
2: if, even if we did that, even if we decided like we're gonna build four hundred new hotels. They're still never going to bring it here. They can't no. even get the draft here in April or May.
3: And I think that'd be a perfect thing to put in Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That doesn't take that many people. Fans here are nuts, so you know you'll get a good crowd. Like, I think a lot of NFL fans would like to come to Green Bay to see historic Lambeau Field.
1: Right. But anyway. All right. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a farmer friend. That's all we ask is that. I know right now is meeting time. Hopefully when you're at Corn and Soy last week, you just told all your farmer friends about Tilt Talk Radio. All they got to do is go on Apple Podcasts and search Tilt Talk Radio. Or on Android, you need to download an app like Podcast Addict, Podbeam, or Player FM. You can also listen on your computer and smartphone browser. Go to tilthagcom slash podcast. We're now available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook, And Twitter, at Tilth Talk Radio.
0: Thanks, Todd. Now let's get into our Cool Beans. That's Corny and the current events for the week. So, Cool Beans? Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. beans. Our Cool Beans this week. Without farms, there would be no Super Bowl. Bam. So, this Sunday, we've got a little game happening down in Arizona, I believe, right? That's where they play. No. Yeah, yes. Arizona. Yes. Arizona.
3: The Pro Bowl was. In, I was going to tell Pro you it was, in, was Vegas. in Vegas. Pro Bowl was right. in Vegas. Super Bowl Arizona. Yep. I saw
2: them rolling the field out to get some sun yesterday. Oh yeah, that's right. They yeah. got the yeah yeah. That's yeah. cool.
1: Think about that. Like yeah. Roll rolling that thing out.
0: Well, they wouldn't be having a game if it weren't for farmers and ranchers. Millions of people would have to find other ways to celebrate. Uh, the, the amount of snacks and different things that people prepare for this game, uh, which has you know millions of dollars being spent just on advertisement, let alone all the snacks and everything else. Mm. so money changes hands, whether it 's the game tickets, which the average price this year nine thousand seven hundred so just a this one simple second mortgage on your house and you can go to the Super Bowl uh, the food uh loss of bets so seventy five percent of the dollar you use to tip your pizza guy. Is made of cotton. So just the money we use. <laughs> oh if you use actual paper. They make money.
1: us be all moneyless now, Matt. So she had this. Yeah, who, game well, who's using are, cash?
0: Yeah, they won't let Ed, you do Cash is making a comeback because look at all, all the good. extra fees and everything else you have to you know. pay on top of, of oh, yeah, that's just the purchase price right. now. Like cash, cash has been argued to be king and it may be king once again. We'll see where, what happens. But so far, people are willing to pay those extra 3%, whatever.
2: Max. Are you going to spend $85 on the Super Bowl for your meals and beer and snacks? Uh, because that's what the average person in America spends, is I, $85. I'll, I'll probably be close. Max is way above it.
3: <laughs> between, me, between me and Sierra, I'll probably be close. Yeah. Because we'll order wings somewhere, and that's always just sure. stupid expensive. But I like wings for Super Bowl Sunday. It's just a thing. So is,
2: is wings on Super Bowl Sunday like going to the... The because Valentine's is next week. Is it going yeah. and getting ro- like go get roses next week? Is it like it's like ninety dollars for a dozen of roses next week? Is that
0: and the then same two, as and wings? Three or?
3: weeks from now, they will be twelve dollars right. for a dozen. Yeah, I don't know. It's just rose
0: flavored wings. You just get rose flavored wings. <laughs> I know. Just, and there you
3: go. I did notice. Uh, I was at a tavern and there was a sign up in the bathroom for their Super Bowl special, and it was, you know, a bucket of beer. Fifteen dollars. I don't remember what the bucket of beer was, but the wings they had a dollar twenty-five each on their wings. Do you want to know what they are on their regular menu? A big special for the Super Bowl. They're a dollar on their regular menu, a wing. So, so I was like,
2: special during the Super Bowl for a quarter more.
3: Yeah, but it was in conjunction with the bucket of beer. So I don't know if you may save money that way, but like, yeah.
0: I, well, I remember when wings were cents, not dollars.
3: Yeah, you're old Back well, inflation plus
0: bird flu. So 1.45 billion chicken wings will be eaten this Sunday. So that might be part of the markup since there will be high demand. Uh, there are a lot of people will grill Super Bowl Sunday. It's the second biggest grilling day beyond 4th of July. There will also be 14 billion hamburgers served nice. on Sunday, possibly topped with 12 million pounds of bacon. That will be eaten. Bacon's just a
3: staple in the snack world really? at this point. You got a bacon. I'm, Everything, anything can be wrapped in bacon yeah. and be made a, an appetizer. Yeah.
0: The turf at State Farm Stadium that we mentioned was getting some sun is a hybrid drought-tolerant Bermuda grass grown on a turf farm near Scottsdale and trucked 25 miles to the stadium. So somebody had to grow the turf. Earliest football uniforms were made of wool. Now they're more poly- based but scratchy and leather you Remember make-
1: that seinfeld episode where he had him wear uh cotton and then it shrunk on the when oh george is managing the yankee kind of thing yeah and they all wear so uh,
2: the yankees said to wear cotton jerseys
1: well, like convinced him like cotton's so much better and they played one game in cotton and it went really good and then the next game yeah how george always gets yeah yep something, something happens. happens and he hasn't run out and Cotton uniforms and they're all shrinking and it's, it's great. Feels it great.
0: Despite the name of pigskin, footballs are actually made of cowhide. So, the cows. You yeah, have never understood the that the actual football. So
3: I've known that that fact, and I've never understood it ever.
0: Well, thank you, farmers, or we wouldn't have the big game. Correct. There you go. All right, now our that's corny for this week. Egg shortages, breed chicken feed conspiracies. <laughs> oh. So naturally, there's. Got to be something nefarious happening with egg prices the way they are. So social media users are claiming to have found a new culprit for the sky-high egg price. And that is chicken feed. Theory has gained steam on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok in recent weeks, with some users reporting that hens stopped laying eggs and speculate that the common chicken feed products <laughs> were the cause. Yes, my chicken won't lay eggs, so it has I, to be the feed.
3: I got into this on Facebook the other day. Like, I didn't get involved, but I got down a rabbit hole on this. Because I saw it. It started on TikTok. Oh, is, it
1: the start, is the end small square bales again? <laughs> sure. No. Okay.
3: I can't believe the conspiracy theories I can get myself into in a week. But, um, yeah, I saw this one. This was nuts. Uh, the, the lady did a test where she was monitored her egg production, and she bought... I don't know what she was buying. The name the some brand at some big store. And then she went and bought feed at her local like co op. Like like we would go in town here and get chicken scratch at the the feed mill. And she's like, I went from my twelve girls laying one egg every day to now we're getting six eggs a day when we change feed. And I'm like, Whoa. That's crazy. Definitely conspiracy.
2: So when she went off the feed mill feed, when
3: she went to the feed mill, to feed. the feed mill, the feed yeah. mill feed is locally. Well, this was her words, right? Locally sourced. Locally sourced.
0: A lot of so. feed mill feed is locally yeah. sourced. Well, then, yeah, what what were the components of the feed? Was there let's something just, else? That, you know, there's a lot of things that could let's, be different.
3: Let's just come on and say it, okay? These people living in town with their backyard six chickens, trying to trying to tell them the the egg industry is putting the putting the clamps on them. I think we need to just chill out nobody a little bit they, care at all about they do eggs, not they do nobody that. nobody has cared about your six chickens i'm sorry <laughs> I, I i enjoy that you give me eggs neighbor lady but nobody cares about your that perina pro plan or perina feeds does not care about your six chickens so yeah
0: so, always got to be something
3: the deep i recommend the deep dive on this one guys it's <laughs> there is some dandies in there
0: i know i saw something about Daylight affecting chickens differently and cold weather. Cold weather. Like, there's a number of reasons that can affect stress. You know, having your chickens coop cooped versus yeah, free they, range. They we want our st-
2: animals to not be stressed. What they know how
1: much their eggs cost now. They're just <laughs> right. they're 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 holding oh, out on well, you. Yeah. yeah,
3: this is a holdout. This is like an yeah. NFL guy not showing up to
0: training camp. <laughs> they want a better deal. Your chickens are striking in yeah. order to get a better better conditions. There's actually a child's the storybook.
1: Oh yeah. Cluck cluck moo. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Similar. Uh, cluck cluck what now? Moo. <laughs> yeah. Cluck cluck
2: moo. moo. You got to check it
0: out, Matt. I I don't know that I'm familiar with that one. I will have to look. At Basically, the, the
2: animals moo. bargain with the farmer to get like and heated pizza. blankets and I've a diving that. pool and just different things. It sounds
0: similar to Duck the Duck series. That is the oh, it is one of the Duck series. Yes. Okay. Because yeah, I've seen the Duck the Duck yeah, ones the, where Duck for president cluck, cluck, and, cluck, and cluck, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because Duck is always negotiating. Great. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I just probably haven't seen that one, but I know they're... I'm familiar with the series. All right. Now we'll wrap things up with our Field Good Friday. And this week, we're looking at an Illinois farmer who will be featured in a Super Bowl commercial this weekend. Most watched event of the year. Millions of Americans will be gathering around their TV to watch the Eagles take on the Chiefs this weekend. Just as many will watch halftime to see the show and of course, enjoy the commercials. So a Illinois farmer will be featured in an ad. You'll be able to see with a message, message about what Illinois farmers are all about. So the ad campaign is, we are the 96%. And did you know that 96% of Illinois farmers are family-owned, or farms are family-owned? I did not. Neither did a certain percentage of Illinois, I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> uh, only 47% thought... Um, or that was the number that were family-owned according to a recent survey. So that's why the Illinois Farm Families is working on getting the word out. And so they will have a local farmer in this ad. His name is Chad Bell. He and his family will be on the TV. He's a sixth-generation farmer from Viola, Illinois, uh, who farms producing corn, soybeans, wheat, and raises pigs. He and his wife... Brittany children Amelia and Charlie are all featured
2: I think sorry Matt yeah. I think we should charge like DBA or milk marketing board something here in Wisconsin to do the same because I think the oh. general public would be very surprised at how many mega farms quote my my like are I hate like, that oh, that's that's is, my worst word in the dictionary
3: factory, factory farms right. oh yes. it drives me yeah nuts. like I, I would charge
2: our milk marketing board mm-hmm. some dairy industry milking to do the same thing and throw it in the super bowl next year because i think the number would be sane
0: right though they are a lot of these farms are family owned even though they are large um i know corn growers has a has a campaign that they've been doing um that you see on gas pumps and airports yep. and a lot of radio a lot of places but yeah we, on the dairy side it would be nice to see some that
3: the corn growers one at the airport, that one got, that one, like, I was like, whoa, what, this cool. is sweet. Like, yeah. when we were leaving for Mexico, actually, it was in the Milwaukee airport, I saw it, and I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet. Nice. Does your blood
2: boil, Max, when you hear that double F word? Odd. Uh, it just makes... Don't even... Yeah.
3: It's not even worth getting into today, because I'll get so fired up. What? Here's my question, you guys. If if Matt and I buy a farm tomorrow together, our families start working together, we're, we're automatically a factory farm corporation, right? We're no longer a family farm because it's
0: two families, not just one.
3: That is the one that gets me because it's still it's two families. They just work together to get all the work done. And I don't I that one always has
0: bothered me. No, I don't like I don't like that. Does the Walton family still own Walmart? Or is that they own
3: the they own the Texans? Yeah, don't they own the Broncos? Or they own the Broncos, they own the Broncos, yeah. sorry.
0: So I think that's a big thing people don't seem to realize is that even all these major chains at one time were probably a family-owned business, and some still are.
3: Well, and I hear people like, yep, they're foreign-owned. There's a probably a good chance they're still owned by a foreign family. Right. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want them to be foreign-owned either, but they're not. they're not automatically just owned by this giant corporation. That's not how it works.
1: It says the commercial will only air in, like, Illinois area. Like, we won't see it. Oh, well, bar. I'm sure the price of the commercial right. yeah. is But it says, like, Champaign, Peoria, Bloomington, Rockford, Springfield, St. Louis, Quad City Markets. It's like I'm
3: driving down to Illinois to watch yeah. games so I can catch the commercial.
1: <laughs> the, the, it will be online. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. Thank well, God. I mean, most it's probably the, online now. Most <laughs> of the commercials are already
0: online, yeah, for the Sunday. So
3: I don't watch.
0: But, yeah, good for them, good for the Illinois farming community to band together and do that. So that makes us all feel good on this lovely day. So that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. This week we talked about grid sampling and how variability in your field can be measured depending on how many samples we are taking when it comes to doing those VRT recs. So a lot to consider there. In our spotlight, we looked at a multi-state data project helping soybean growers. Ag History Minute, we looked at the warmest and coldest Super Bowl Sundays. Cool Beans this week was without farms, there would be no Super Bowl. That's Corny is the chicken feed conspiracy that has cropped up, supposedly leading to egg shortages. And our Field Good Friday is the Illinois Farmer will be featured, albeit locally, in the Super Bowl commercial market this weekend. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.